0: second pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, oh. the Detroit Lions select Aiden Hutchison, defensive end, Michigan. Who's oh. Oh. got it better than us? Don't. Don't what? Don't give me hope. Are the Lions good? Are they back from the depths of their misery of 70 plus years? Keep listening and you can find out. Well, to answer the question quickly, are they back? Maybe maybe not but the question really is what are they back from because they were never in the forefront they were never there so what i would say to the question of are they back is this different the answer to that question for me would be let's wait and see but it's not as simple as that because there's stuff to look at and there's stuff to take from this draft players that they drafted and also moves that brad holmes made that indicates that yes, something about this regime, something about this new general manager and this coach is different than obviously Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, but different from, from even regimes before, you know, uh, Matt Millen being the, the big one that you can think of and Jim Schwartz, Jim Caldwell, right? It's just a different, it's a different feeling. And now the idea is, and the question is, is different good? And when you've been terrible for 70 years, you would obviously think, yes, different is good, but good comes in a lot of forms. So good for Lions fans and myself could just be being relevant, but good for other teams could mean Super Bowl, could mean NFC, AFC championship appearance. So so are the Lions back is a multi, multi, multi-layered question. But I will say, I like what they did in the draft. And the Jamison Williams pick is maybe a different discussion because you can like what Brad Holmes did. You can like the move, but you can also not like who he picked. So it's it's definitely an interesting conversation, and I'm going to get into that. It's the first thing that I'm going to get into in this show. Uh, next thing would be my most important picks of the NFL draft. I went through, the, you know, I watched I, t- I watched all of the first three rounds. I went back and forth with the fourth round, and I think it was like NBA playoffs. I think the NBA playoffs were on. And then fifth through seventh round, it was just notifications on my phone seeing who, who the teams that I root for picked. And I had alerts set up for when Michigan State and Iowa State players got picked and, and University of Michigan as well. So once, once we get through my, my thoughts on the Lions, we'll go through each of you know the most important picks of the draft, in my opinion. And there'll be a lot of ones from the first round, and then it'll get more and more you know vast as, as it goes on. There will be less and less picks from each round as we progress. So the first pick, the first round will have most of the picks, the second round, not as many, third round, not as many as the second, so on, so forth. You're smart enough to understand what I'm talking about. So after that, I woke up this morning and I realized, holy crap, it's Star Wars Day, unofficially, but also officially. Is it a national holiday? I feel like it should be a national holiday, to be completely honest with you. But I woke up and I didn't even realize it. Like even even when I was staying up last night to watch the Moon Knight finale, I didn't even realize it was happening until my friend mentioned it. He's like, oh, we're literally watching Moon Knight at 2 a.m. on Star Wars Day, and I'm like, oh, holy crap, it's Star Wars Day. And then I just, you know, I went to bed after Moon Knight, and I woke up, and I didn't even realize it. I would, I'd like, usually I would just check and see, like, what deals are up for Star Wars stuff, because on Star Wars Day, they have a bunch of different deals and sales and things like that, and I totally forgot, didn't even look. And then I went on Instagram, and I saw everything, I was like, holy crap, I completely forgot and then I saw that there was the Kenobi trailer out, and I was like, oh my gosh, I had a feeling this would happen today. I was like I was saying yesterday, I was like, I have a feeling there's gonna be a Kenobi trailer on Star Wars Day. In my my brain not even processing that I was saying this on May 3rd, the day before Star Wars Day. So so in celebration of it, and I'm a pretty big Star Wars fan, it's I haven't been as like active with watching the movies and stuff, mainly because I haven't had a movie in almost three years. But also, I mean you know, things get busy. Things get kind of crazy in college, and the Mandalorian won't air for a bit. We've got Bad Batch. We've got you know. There's a lot of stuff in the works, but you know, there's nothing really Star Wars going on right now. One until Kenobi comes out, and we we went through the end of uh, honestly, what I don't even know what the last Star Wars thing was that ended season one of Bad Batch, maybe, or, or, oh, Book of Boba Fett. We had Book of Boba Fett that ended, and then we went from the end of Book of Boba Fett to, to Kenobi. So just in celebration, I'm going to do the generic, you know, rank the Star Wars movies. And most of you know that I'm a very big Star Wars fan, but you might not necessarily know how I'd rank all the movies. So there will be some controversy in it for sure. But again, it's my opinion. So your opinion's different than mine, whatever. That's how life works. But I just I'll give a little bit of a brief explanation as to why each one is is I like more over the other and there'll be a little bit of a discussion about it. And I think I don't know, I think it's fun to do. I don't get to do it very often. I would never just go on a random, you know, one of these and just start talking Star Wars unless it was a big deal, right? Like with Kenobi coming out, it was Star Wars Day Today, like this isn't a Star Wars podcast, but at at the end of the day, when it's Star Wars day, hey, might as well give, give my ranking of the films and see where your uh, critiques rank up against mine and stack up against mine. I think we can uh, be civilized as one big-time Star Wars character would say. I think we can be civilized about this. So, you know, you can obviously think whatever you want. You can think that I'm a Star Wars idiot, that I don't know what I'm talking about. And... A majority of that would be true, but hey, we'll see. So starting with the Lions, the trade. Uh, obviously, last week I was I went through all these crazy scenarios if Aiden Hutchinson got picked by the Jaguars and uh, he didn't. So it was Trayvon Walker, as soon as they drafted Trayvon Walker, I knew what was going to happen. It, it took I think they were on a clock. They were on a clock for 22 seconds total. I think it was. It was less than 30 seconds. And and the NFL got mad at them because they're you know they're supposed to be on TV longer. They're supposed to build up the anticipation. They're supposed to keep their guys on the screen, and they're supposed to you know they're supposed to advertise more and have more commercials. And when you fly through the picks in the first round, you don't get the opportunity to do all these things. So the NFL was actually mad at the Lions for submitting their pick as quickly as they did. So once Trayvon Walker got drafted, I knew it was going to be Aiden Hutchinson. And I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to go into this big thing about Hutchinson is the upside there. What's the ceiling? How good can he actually be? I wanted Hutchinson. I said it last week, but I came up with all these other random scenarios in case Hutchinson went to the Jags. What I think about Aiden Hutchinson right now at number two, I think he was one, and you've heard it everywhere. I think one, he was the safe pick safe doesn't necessarily always equal bad. Each of these players is an extremely high risk. And the Lions are terrible. So there is no reason to continue to set your franchise back. You need something. Oh, but they can't go any further back. Believe me, they can. They won three games last year. It can get worse. I've seen it. I've lived it. So get the guy that you know is going to improve your team immediately. And that is Aiden Hutchinson. You know that he's going to be a year-run starter. You know he's going to be around town for multiple years, four years minimum. He will work out. He will be a great player on the defensive edge. He will do good things for this team. He's he's an angry football player. right? He might not necessarily be the best defensive lineman on the team or the best defensive lineman in the NFC North. And what would you draft him two for? If he's not going to be the best defensive lineman on the team, I drafted him number two, said he could be an anchor for a decade in a Pro Bowl or two or three or four years. That's why I drafted him at two. And I like the pick. I like that he came from Michigan. Oh, but you're a Michigan State fan. Yeah, that's true. But I like that he came from Michigan. I like that he got the experience playing with with David Ajabo. I like that he got to play on a unit with Daxton Hill. I like the Michigan defense last season. I want to see how it translates to the NFL. So Hutchinson, yeah, was the safe pick, but I think he can be really good. The biggest knock that I have on Aiden Hutchinson is his flexibility. The bend around the line. It's, it's good. He has good bend around the line, right? He's quick. He has quick feet. He had a great combine, but the flexibility is something where when you, when you measure it up against the top defensive ends in the league, it's a little different. And it's, it's Aiden Hutchinson's bend and his flexibility just isn't where most of the top five defensive ends in the league are. And 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 the big one would be, you know, when Clowney was coming out of out of school and Clowney was this generational talent. Now he didn't pan out in the NFL, but Clowney's flexibility was was insane. So let's move on to Jamison Williams. Let's move on to the move that was made. So for those of you that, that don't remember the specifics of the trade, the Lions traded picks 32, 34, and 66 to the Vikings. In return, Detroit got number 12, who they used on James Williams. And number 46, which they used on Josh Pascal. Defensive end, again, from Kentucky. So, overall, I like the move itself. The Lions won this trade. They got the best receiver in the draft. And the question is, was it the right pick? Was it the right thing to do in that situation? with great, and I mean great, defensive players still available at that position in the draft, at number 12. And I'd say, yeah, the Lions are at a point right now where they need everything. They need, in in the places where they have talent, they need depth. In the places where they don't have talent, they need talent. So if you're going to add depth to an already strong position, go for it. That's fine, right? If you've got Tracy Walker at safety, did you really need Kyle Hamilton? No, but you could have added depth to the safety position. You already had Amon Ross St. Brown and Josh Reynolds and TJ Huck- uh, Hutchinson. Why I'm mixing, mixing TJ Hawkinson with Aiden Hutchinson. But, anyways, you need TJ Hawkinson, you have Josh Reynolds, and you have Amon Ross St. Brown. Is it necessary to draft another wide receiver? No, but could you use depth there? Yes, and you have now. You have two. I mean, three. Really, three really fast receivers. You have two. You have two shallow threats that are fast receivers in Khalif Raymond and Amon-Ross Saint Brown, and then you have the deep threat, the speedster in Jamison Williams, and then you've got the big body receiver in Josh Reynolds, and you've got T.J. Hawkinson who can operate in the middle of the field. You've got a running back who some of you may have heard of named DeAndre Swift, who's pretty good catching passes out of the backfield. And then there's another running back on this team that some of you may have heard of called Jamal Williams, who's a power back. And now you add all this together, that's a complete offense. And then the only question, and it's the biggest question, is Jared Goff. But there's enough around Jared Goff right now, especially with the offensive line as well. There is enough around Jared Goff for him to succeed and if he doesn't succeed then you move on then you get a quarterback and if he doesn't succeed and they extend him then we have a bit of an issue but right now you add depth anywhere you add talent anywhere with all the holes on this team yeah go for it if it was if the draft it was going to be Kyle Hamilton okay if it was going to be Malik Willis okay you need depth at quarterback you don't know if this guy's truly your starter right safety someone to play with Tracy Walker sure another corner sure but they weren't going to draft a corner that high there were no corners we taking that high but you get what i'm saying right a linebacker do you draft Nicobe Dean to go with now the whole Nicobe Dean thing is crazy how far he slipped right you do you trade do you draft Nicobe Dean are you trading up for Jermaine Johnson another DN right what what are you going to do when you trade up and as long as you add depth at one of the eight holes on this team. As long as you add talent to one of the eight holes on this team, sure. And you could argue that that the wide receiving core, or even the offensive side of the ball, was the wrong place to go with not as many glaring issues. But hey, that pick solidifies the offense for hopefully four years, three years at least, right? You're, you're going to have to pay Hawkinson after, oh my gosh, this year. This year or next year, you're going to have to pay Hawkinson. After this year, you're going to have to decide what we're going to do with Goff. you got Josh Reynolds, who's got years. You've got amon ross Brown. You've got Kalief Raymond. You've got DeAndre Swift, all of which won't have to be paid for a while. So this offense, Jameson Williams. So now this offense is solidified and set up for success for the next two years minimum, depending on what you do with Jared Goff, right? Because even if Goff doesn't end up being the person, you put a rookie in a really good situation behind a really good offensive line. And if Jared Goff is the guy, then great. Extend him and pay him. And you've got your quarterback, and you move on from there. If Joe Flucco can win a Super Bowl, why can't Goff? It's a dumb comparison, but but seriously, think about it, right? If if, if Flucco can go to the Super Bowl and win with all the support around him, why can't Jared Goff, right? Tannehill, why can't Jared Goff? If, if Jameis Winston... Rolls through it. If Jameis Winston wins a division with New Orleans and Tampa Bay falls apart, right? Why can't golf? All these, all these different things, right? Like, like Aaron Rodgers, it's, it's the complete opposite, right? Aaron Rodgers is the only thing in Green Bay keeping them afloat, right? And I don't want to talk about this whole Christian Watson thing yet. Not yet. But, but it's the complete opposite, right? Green Bay is, is Aaron Rodgers and then everybody else. Detroit is everybody else. And then Jared Goff, the question mark is Jared Goff. The question, the only question mark right now for the Lions offense is Jared Goff. For Green Bay, you know Aaron Rodgers is big green check mark, but then the question marks are everywhere else. What, what does Aaron Rodgers have around him? If, tell me this. If you put Aaron Rodgers with the current Detroit offense, do the Green Bay Packers go to the Super Bowl and do they win it? I say, yeah. I say 100% if Aaron Rodgers had the Detroit offense around him. If if Rodgers was wearing Honolulu blue, or everybody wearing Honolulu blue was wearing that stupid shade of green with Aaron Rodgers, they'd be a Super Bowl team. So that's why I say I like what the Lions have done on offense, and now you just need to figure out who's going to lead it, and if Ben Johnson is really going to be the guy calling plays, or if it's going to be Dan Campbell and reports would suggest Ben Johnson. But Dan Campbell, who's to say that he's not going to hijack play calling the way he did from Anthony Lynn last season. So that's why I say, and that's why I'm comfortable with the Lions going offense, because they need help everywhere. And if if you want to shore-up ride receiver, great. You, you now guarantee that if Goff isn't good this season, he's not the guy. There's no excuses of, oh, he didn't have weapons. Oh, he didn't have this. Oh, this guy was injured. If Amon hyphen Ross Saint dot Brown goes down, you've got, you've got Khalif Raymond, you've got Hawkinson, you've got DeAndre Swift, you've got Jameson Williams, you've got Josh Reynolds, and you've got Tom, just an overall really great guy, financial advisor, Tom Kennedy. You've got all these people around golf to where you can't, you can't give him a free pass. You can't give him a get out of jail free card if somebody gets hurt. Or if an offensive lineman gets hurt, if Decker goes down, right? There's no, there's no excuses now for Goff, and I'm glad because halfway through the season, if we figure out Goff isn't the guy, we know we're not going to extend him and we're going to look to the draft and we tank again this year to get whatever quarterback, top five quarterback that we need out of this year's draft. And I think I think you go from there and and sure, the Lions defense, right? What what did they solidify on defense? The defensive line. And you knew that was going to happen when Dan Campbell, all he preached about was building this into the trenches, building it in and through the trenches. Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell both talked about it. And, and when they draft two defensive ends in this draft, I'm not surprised. And then when they wait to draft a, a linebacker out of Oklahoma State, they wait to draft a corner. They wait to draft, a, it was a safety, that's safety from Jackson State, right? They wait for these things. It's not surprising that they prioritize the trenches. So you solidify the defensive line. you built depth at defensive line. You've built depth at receiver. You have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. That is three core position groups that you have solidified through this draft. D-line, you've solidified D-line, O-line, and wide receivers, and you have a good running back room. Maybe the argument could be made that you add one more running back. But I think with the offensive line, as good as you have it, as we have it, I say you as if I'm not with you, but I am with you because I am you. Because we're in this 80-year-long 80, 80 fight together. I think you've got great running backs. We've got great offensive line, great receivers, and now a great defensive line. So now we focus on is Jared Goff the guy at quarterback? What do we do at safety? What do we do with the secondary? Is Kirby Joseph really the guy? I think I think if Kirby Joseph pans out as a corner three Okuda pans out as a corner two. I mean, we got Jerry Jacobs, too. I mean, honestly, I don't know. I think we've got some decent corners, too, to be completely honest. Because, I mean, our problem is, is we have a bunch of great corner twos and threes, but no corner one, right? Okuda's not a corner one. Oruarie hasn't proved that he's a good corner, but on a contending NFL team, Oruarie is a corner two, right? Jerry Jacobs is a corner three. He proved himself. It's a great story. Undrafted. Great. Great to see Jerry Jacobs performing. And then we've got Kirby Joseph. So it's going to be Amani Oruarie at corner one. But I think if you've got, if you've got Jerry Jacobs or Okuda at corner two and then the other on, on corner three and Kirby Joseph in there at depth, I think that's a decent, I think that's a decent group of corners that you have. And then at safety, you have Tracy Walker, and then fill-in-the-blank uh, cousin from Lake Superior. Like, anywhere, right? Like, you can you can find someone anywhere to play safety alongside Tracy Walker. So, that'd be the biggest hole safety and linebackers, in my opinion. So, I mean, when you look at it, you say, hey, this is a decent team. Maybe they win some games this year. And I think they should improve. The question is how much. And that leads me back to, are they really back it Well, back from what? Death? Uh, maybe, right? But but how good can they be this year? And I think the ceiling would be second in the division, right? I don't think that's necessarily unrealistic. I don't think that's crazy. I think it would be a stretch, and I think they would have to have, instead of Tucker hitting 66-yard field goals, bouncing off the crossbar and going through, I think instead of that bounce, you'd have to get a couple bounces to go your way. Instead of tie, tying the Steelers in week Oh, God, 10, week 10 or 11. Instead of tying that game, you win that game. Instead of being down 40 points against the Niners in week one and making a useless 26-point comeback to make it a one-possession game at the end, you show up for the first half of that game, and the second-half comeback actually results in a win and not an eight-point loss, right? So I think, yeah, I think max improvement, you can get four more wins than you had this season. I predicted... Six wins. I was saying, look, this team could win six games next season. When I saw Vegas over-under put them at six, I said, okay. I think that's I think that's a great place for them to be. I think if you improve three times, three wins this season, three win improvement this season, three win to four win improvement next season, when all your young players and you get another good draft with a lot of picks, you build all this up, I think, yeah, two not this year, but next year, who knows what could happen this year right maybe you do some crazy and you win more than seven games. but realistically, not this season but next season, yes, you should be a 10 win team. you should be in the wild card or in or winning the division. you will be year three of Dan Campbell, you'll be year three of Brad Holmes, which is usually year three is when that's the show it year. that's the year where you say okay, Let's see what these guys have built and if it's really worth anything. That's when year three, you knew that Patricia and Bob Quinn definitely were going to get fired. In year three, you'll know with Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell, how stable is this foundation that we've, how stable is it, right? How stable is this foundation that we've built? How good is this defensive line actually? How good are these linebackers that we've taken in low rounds? How about the safeties? How about the corners, right? Is the offensive line continuing to stay healthy? What's, what's the deal with Jared Goff? What are we doing with Jared Goff, right? Are we, are we paying Hawkinson a max contract, or are we letting him go for picks? Are we trading him, or are we just letting him walk in free agency? What are we doing? What core decisions are we making about our team that are going to determine who we become, not this season, but next season, when we should be primed to make a run? So that's why I'm not going to really freak out about the Jameson Williams fake. And also, I've heard a lot about, oh, does Jameson Williams really want to be here? And I think, I think that's a, a dumb argument. I think that's a, a dumb thing to talk about. Jameson Williams, Jameson Williams has been given a chance that the 0.1 of the 0.1% get. And is it in Detroit? Yes. Is this Phoenix? No. Is this LA? No. Is it? Miami. No. Is it Houston? Now, Houston's a terrible situation. But Houston's a nice city. No. But here's the thing. There are lakes in Detroit. Well, not in Detroit. There are lakes in the area. There is a place some of you know of called Oakland County with $800 million lake homes. There's a place called The Shores that you might know of. There's a place called Gross Point that you might know of that have very prestigious living uh how do I want to put this prestigious living opportunities right though so it's not like Jameson Williams is showing up and living in a shelter it's not like Jameson Williams is showing up and living in a crap apartment right it's Detroit right this isn't this isn't Flint this isn't the bad parts of Saginaw this is Detroit there are good parts about every town about every city there will be somewhere for Jameson Williams to be and yes would Jameson Williams have rather been catching passes from Joe Burrow than Jared Goff? yes but he was never going to slip that far Jameson Williams honestly if he was healthy he would have been he would have been on the Jets or on the Giants right I'd, I'd be or, or the Falcons right Atlanta's a pretty nice place right but if 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 Jameson Williams is healthy do you really think the Falcons are taking Drake London over a healthy Jameson Williams? I don't think so. So did he end up in Detroit? Yeah. Was it maybe not his first destination? Yeah. And he didn't think he was going to get taken by Detroit. You heard it in the press conferences. You heard it, you heard it in the interviews, right? You know, that he didn't have that much contact with Detroit, but it was very clear that Brad Holmes saw something that he liked in Jameson Williams. And now we can use this as as, as a measuring stick for, hey, did is what Brad Holmes did really the right thing to do? How good is Jameson Williams really gonna be? So I, I like it. And and even, you know, even if they draft Jordan Davis, or even if they draft Kyle Hamilton, right? Even if they draft Jermaine Johnson, there's risk involved with that. Not only because you gave up assets and you moved up, but also, you know, Jameson Williams is hurt. Jordan Davis, you don't you don't know if his body is is going to translate to the NFL level. Kyle Hamilton, you draft a safety that high, it's a risk. Jermaine Johnson, risk. So I mean, when you trade up like that, it's not gonna be this completely safe pick there are always going to be risks involved and and the James Williams injury adds to that risk but all the medical reports suggest he'll be good to go it's of no consequence of no concern and you, you just can't rush him you just can't rush him back so so to put it all into perspective I'd say yeah I really like what the Lions did and I'm excited for this season and I'm not gonna make all these oh well they're back they're division champs for the first time in 87 years no no, but but I like where we're headed, and and we added depth at positions that needed depth, and I think we added one of the best players in this draft in in Aiden Hutchinson, obviously, and I think Jameson Williams, when when healthy, would totally be a top ten draft pick, and and he's injured, and you you went down, you went up to twelve to get him, right? Maybe maybe it's a little bit of a reach at twelve for a guy with a torn ACL, but. If, if he can really get healthy and, be, and become who he was at Alabama, if he can be what people think he can be, if he can be tall, almost as fast version of Tyreek Hill, that's totally worth trading up and drafting 12 for. And that's up to Brad Holmes, and that's where we say, did Brad Holmes make the right move? That's when we wait for Jameson Williams to get healthy, and we wait for Jared Goff to get him back, and we say, is Jared Goff going to throw to this guy? And if so, is Jameson Williams creating separation and giving Goff places to go with the football? And that's how you judge the pick. Simple as that. But for now, yeah. I like the move. I like the aggression. I like the trade-up, and I like the player. So that's 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 what I have to say about the Detroit Lions in this in this particular move. So we'll move on. We'll move on, in my opinion, to every important draft pick that was made. And we've got a good amount here. So we'll start with Trayvon Walker, which obviously first overall pick went to Jacksonville. Is now the reason why Aiden Hutchinson is a lion. Number two, Aiden Hutchinson, lion. Number three, Derek Stingley Jr. goes to Houston, a fast corner, maybe not the best corner, but Houston for whatever it was done. Maybe maybe it was just these draft reports trying to throw, throw other teams off of Houston's scent. Maybe you thought Houston was going to go for Sauce Gardner the entire time. But, but they didn't. All the reports about Houston wanting Derek Stingley Jr. were true. They took him, and that leaves Sauce to go to the Jets. So now Sauce is a Jet. Sauce Garner goes from Detroit to Cincinnati to now New York. Consider that a change of scenery. Sauce Gardner now for a Jet. Cape On Thibodeau potentially thought could be a Lion draft pick if Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker went to Jacksonville especially. If Aiden Hutchinson went to to Jacksonville, you thought potentially Thibodeau would be the favorite to get picked there. It did not happen. Houston, New York went corner, which left Thibodeau, arguably the best pass rusher in the draft, to New York to go to the Giants. Uh, Number six was the pick where potentially you thought this could be the first quarterback. This could be Carolina reaching for a quarterback, and they didn't, which tells you something about what Carolina thought of the quarterbacks in this year's draft class. Instead, they drafted Kevin Iquano. Then number seven, Evan Neal, goes to the Giants because Carolina drafted the other lineman, So that left Evan Neal, potentially the best lineman in this class, to the Giants. So the Giants could get the best D lineman and the best O lineman in the class out of this draft. Number eight, we have Drake London, who goes to Atlanta. And like I said earlier, if Jameson Williams is healthy, who's to say that... He doesn't get picked there. Who's to say that Drake London gets picked there instead of Jameson Williams, right? If Jameson Williams is healthy and goes to Atlanta at 8, maybe this looks completely different and Detroit drafts not Jameson Williams, but they draft Drake London instead. Or, number 10, the Jets draft Drake London and the Lions trade up for Garrett Wilson, right? It it could go plenty of different ways. But the Jameson Williams injury and Atlanta's aggression at 8, and the Jets not wanting to take the injured guy, and go with Garrett, uh, Garrett Wilson is what left Jamison Williams there for the Lions. So, we have Drake London at 8. We have Garrett Wilson at 10. We have Chris Olave at 11. Here's this run on receivers. So, one and 8, Garrett Wilson 10, Chris Olave 11 to New Orleans, Jamison Williams 12 to Detroit. They traded up 13, Jordan Davis to Philadelphia. Jordan Davis was a name in my mind that I thought could have been the why they traded up at 12. I honestly... At 12, I didn't even think it was Jameson Williams. I thought it was going to be Jordan Davis, Kyle Hamilton, or Malik Willis. It ended up being Jameson Williams. Then Jordan Davis went right after that. And then Kyle Hamilton went right after Jordan Davis to Baltimore. At 16, another wide receiver, Jahan Dotson, to Washington. Washington traded down for this pick. Then we have the trade. The Tennessee giving A.J. Brown to Philadelphia trade. So, A.J. Brown goes to Philadelphia, and Tennessee essentially drafts his replacement in Traylon Burks at 18. So, I, an interesting trade. I don't really know how it'll work out for, for Philadelphia. I mean, if A.J. Brown stays healthy, I think Philadelphia wins the trade there and gives Jalen Hurts a, a, an immediately deployable weapon while still adding a, a big time defensive tackle in Jordan Davis. But obviously the big the big asterisk here is, is A.J. Brown actually going to be healthy? And the last three years suggests, uh, no, he's not going to be. Number 20, big time pick. Big time pick at number 20. Pick at 20. The pick at 20 is Kenny Pickett. Do yeah, what I did there. Kenny Pickett goes at 20 to Pittsburgh. You thought, okay, it's going to be Kenny Pickett. It's gonna be Malik Willis, and they liked Kenny. I, I don't even have a, a funny joke about small hands or you know anything. Kenny, quote unquote, I have small hands, quote unquote. Joe Burrow has small hands, but he's also a Super Bowl quarterback. Also, Jared Goff has small hands. Pick it. you know, you never know, right? All the jokes about his hands, whatever. Funny. Ah, he has small hands, but he's a quarterback, and he's in the NFL. Are you in the quarter? Are you a quarterback in the NFL? No. So I <laughs> whatever. He has small hands. Pittsburgh saw something in Kenny Pickett that they liked. They didn't want Malik Willis, at least not at 20. So they draft Kenny Pickett essentially to be the starter, and Mitch Trubisky cries a couple of tears but realizes, hey, it's probably better than I'm a backup anyways. So Green Bay now doesn't draft a quarterback, which or not a quarterback, a wide receiver, which is kind of funny. Uh, Tyler Linderbaum goes to Baltimore at 25. Jets trade back up into the first round. And draft Jermaine Johnson the second. The Jets had the best draft of any team in the first round, in my opinion. Jacksonville then trades back up in the first round to draft Devin Lloyd, linebacker. Uh, Kansas City drafts George Karloftis, a pick that I potentially saw the Lions using at 32 or 34. Defensive end, Karloftis. You think, hey, maybe if they pair Aiden Hutchinson and Karloftis together, that could be a really big pairing. Or Hutchinson and Ajabo again. Or Hutchinson and, oh, Josh Pascal. Well, that's what they did in the second round. Number 31 overall pick, Daxton Hill, corner, Michigan, goes to Cincinnati. That was a big time player out of Michigan. We'll see what he does in Cincinnati. Uh, 32, who I wanted the Lions to take, particularly at 32, uh, Louis Sean goes to Minnesota. I think that's a great pick. It's what I would have done at the Lions if I was Lions, if I had the 32nd overall pick. But the Lions didn't have the 32nd overall pick because they fleeced the Vikings, and now the Vikings get them. So, Good, and and the Packers screwing it up, not drafting a wide receiver in the first round the way the Packers usually do. But it didn't take long for the Vikings to screw it up again. Because not only do they trade down with the Lions, they traded down with the Packers. So the Packers move up to 34, they draft their receiver, they get Christian Watson out of North Dakota State. A a, a massive, massive, big-bodied wide receiver. And the risk, obviously, is that he played at NDSU, right? He's going to realize as soon as he gets to Green Bay and travels to Minnesota or Detroit, you know, all jokes aside about Detroit, and, and travels to Chicago or wherever else that they travel, uh, Christian Watson is going to realize that, uh-oh, this isn't Vermilion, South Dakota, right? This is big-time NFL stuff now. He's a he's a big receiver. He has the potential to become, you know, potentially, calvin johnson i'm not going to say he is i'm not going to say that oh this guy's the next calvin johnson but when you look at when you look at the body style when you look at the height when you look at the weight when you look at the route running when you look at the, the how he out muscles corners how he rises above packs of crowds right you think this guy is going to be utilized in a similar way to how calvin johnson was utilized in detroit so green bay gets a big time receiver no Devonte adams right it's different he's Christian Watson is a lot different than Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, immediately, one of the best route runners in the league, probably the best route runner in the league. Christian Watson, he's just a big guy. He's going to get in front of the corner, and he's just going to box out, and he's going to be a big body with a massive wingspan for Aaron Rodgers to throw to. So we'll see how that dynamic works. Brees Hall, arguably best running back in the draft, alongside Kenneth Walker. Iowa State running back, Brees Hall. The Jets continue their role through the 2022 NFL Draft. Brees Hall goes to the Jets. Kenneth Walker goes to the Seahawks, running back Michigan State. I love Kenneth Walker. I wish him all the best in Seattle, and that will be, I'm a jersey collector, so I'm trying to collect all 32 NFL jerseys. And yeah, Kenneth Walker is going to be my Seahawks jersey. John Mechie, Houston, the other injured Alabama receiver who can really become a fantastic NFL player, but you just got to wait. I think that's a great value for Houston at 34, because of how good John Mechie can become and how fast John Mechie really is. So we'll see how he develops. in Houston also trying to get get give Davis Mills a little bit more to work with down there. 45, a pick that I thought potentially the Lions could do. Uh Ojabo. So so Baltimore takes Ojabo at 45, and, and the Lions take Josh Pascal. At 46, another defensive end to pair with with Aiden Hutchinson, which I think is fine. Like I said, that's depth. That's solidifying a core position group now. So you've got your defensive line, your offensive line, your running back room, your wide receiver, and your corners are in decent shape. So I think it's a nice pick for the Lions. George Pickens goes to Pittsburgh. So immediately, immediately trying to build around Kenny Pickett and give Kenny Pickett more weapons to work with. Kansas City... Does their best to replace Tyreek Hill by drafting Sky Moore, wide receiver out of Western Michigan at 54th overall. And then and then again, the second quarterback off the board at 74th overall, Desmond Ritter goes to Atlanta. An interesting pick. You say, wow, we go 54 picks without a quarterback. We go from 20 all the way to 74th until Desmond Ritter gets picked. And then you wait 12 more picks for Malik Willis to go. So then you get this kind of mini run on quarterbacks. So so Kenny Pickett gets drafted at 20. Then nothing from 20 to 74. But from 74 to 94, you have three quarterbacks go. So you have Ritter at 74 to Atlanta. You have Malik Willis at 86 to Tennessee. You have Matt Corral at 94 to Carolina. And I, and I want to take a moment on these three picks and which one I think is going to work best, I think Malik Willis in Tennessee is going to work best. And I think that because, first off, Derrick Henry and Malik Willis pairing together, that is an unstoppable rushing attack. Malik Willis coming into this season, right? Malik Willis in the NFL would immediately walk in as the second or third best rushing quarterback in the NFL. And I think if you pair that with his elite arm, the accuracy is a question, but Malik Willis' arm, his running capability, and you pair that with Derrick Henry, I think that's a crazy dual and, honestly, triple threat offense. That is a brutal read option. That is a brutal when you line up in the eye. Is he going to use his cannon arm and launch it downfield? Is he going to hand it off to Derrick Henry, or is it going to be a bootleg him? You have three big-time things you can do with Malik Willis. You can uncork it downfield, you can give the ball to Derrick Henry, or you can let Malik Willis do it with his legs. So that's why I think Malik Willis has the highest upside in Tennessee and has the best chance of success. And I also have this really weird feeling that Atlanta is committed to Marcus Mariota, but I'm I'm, I'm not sure. right? I think Atlanta could definitely spring for a quarterback next season, but if they're really going to spring for a quarterback next season, why not just let Mariota run it out, let Mariota win four games, and then draft somebody else with this third round pick instead of instead of Desmond Ritter. So that's the only thing that has me kind of confused on the Ritter pick. But we'll see how it goes. Uh 97th overall, the Lions pick Kirby Joseph, a corner. I got to be honest, I don't I don't know much, right? He came from Illinois. I didn't watch a ton of Illinois football this year. I I I hope it works. <laughs> if if he I'll put it this way, right? If he is if he's a backup to Okuda or Jerry Jacobs then sure right you know Okuda needs to come out for a play Oruarie needs to come out Jerry Jacobs needs to come out one of them gets hurt if Kirby Joseph is a sufficient substitute for one of these players because you just know Okuda is going to have a season-ending injury right you know what's going to happen so when that happens when O'Ruari moves up or when when Jerry Jacobs move up is Kirby Joseph capable of taking that person's place and I think, hey. If he is, and I think it's a good pick, David Bell goes to Cleveland immediately. Deshaun Watson getting more things, more assets at wide receiver, and then a, a great, I think a great pick at 110th overall. First off, he's got a great first name, Daniel Fa'alale. Faalele. I bl- I honestly, I'm so sorry. I that's that that's butchered. But goes to Baltimore, six foot nine. 380-pound tackle, offensive tackle, 380 pounds. I'm going to watch Baltimore football just to see this guy play. 123rd overall, an interesting pick at running back for the Chargers, Isaiah Spiller out of Texas A&M. 128th overall, Charlie Kolar, tight end, Iowa State. To Baltimore, I think he's a great compliment to Mark Andrews. One of the best tight ends, if not the best tight end, in Iowa State football history. Collar goes to Baltimore. Michigan man, Hassan Haskins, picked 131st overall to Tennessee. I think, hey, that's a smart pick. Why not give give something to work with when Derrick Henry gets hurt again? And an interesting, interesting, interesting pick at 137th overall. Bailey Zappi quarterback western kentucky to new england what in the world i mean if this guy this is a great backup to mac jones he threw i think he had the most passing yards in college football this season or one of the most right it was it was a total air raid offense at western kentucky so he's familiar with it i think i he's gonna be fun to watch in new england patriot preseason football i'll I'll just put it that way i'm very curious to see how this how this all works out. The next pick, Sam Howell picked 144th. Well, next important pick, in my opinion. Sam Howell picked 144th by Washington. First pick of the fifth round. So now you have you have Carson Wentz, you have Taylor Heineke, and you have Sam Howell. So what do you do with these? What do you do with the other two? Is it Taylor Heineke that stays, and Sam Howell goes somewhere else? That Sam Howell that stays and Heineke goes somewhere else, or is it all three of them? They just stay and Howell's the third string. And Howell was an interesting pick because he was he was mocked top of most draft. last season. At this time, he was picked. He was mocked as a top pick, as a top first round pick. Now he falls all the way to 144th, first pick of the fifth round, and you don't know where he's going to go. You don't know what's going to happen with him in Washington. So i think going to be interesting to see how Sam Howell develops in Washington and if he even becomes a starter like he was supposed to be. At 155th, in, in a pick that I love because, you know, I'm a homer, uh, Matt Wiletsko, offensive lineman, goes to Dallas. A tackle. Who's Matt Wiletsko? Why are, you, why are you pinpointing out this random lineman that got picked 155th to go to Dallas? You hate the Cowboys. Yes, I hate the Cowboys. Everybody hates the Cowboys, including Cowboy fans. Matt Wiletsko went to the University of North Dakota. Their first draft pick since 2006 to go to the NFL. And here we go. Let's see, right? Why not? North Dakota pick. I think it's important for the university to say, hey, this guy, we have somebody in the NFL that got drafted, you know, not in the first round. But, hey, you've seen fifth round picks do worse, right? We've seen, we've seen, or let's see, yeah, yeah, we've seen fifth round picks do do better or worse, right? I think there's a shot for this guy to succeed. And why not come in on a decent offensive line? Let's see how he develops as a North Dakota graduate. James Mitchell goes to Detroit, 177th overall. Ah, uh, our favorite, our favorite speedster, drafted at 191st. Hardly nowhere. Jalen Naylor goes to the Vikings. That was the be- that was the Vikings' best pick overall in the draft, in my opinion. Hardly nowhere to the Vikings. It's tough because they're a division rival, but I'm just glad that hardly knower gets his chance to succeed in the NFL. and I can't wait to see what he does, if he even does anything in Minnesota. But kudos to the Vikings for giving my guy, hardly knower a chance. Uh, another Michigan State guy, Connor Hayward, goes to Pittsburgh. I just put him there because he's a Michigan State guy. James Houston goes to Detroit, the linebacker from Jackson State. We'll see how good Coach Prime coached him up. In Mr. Irrelevant, 262nd overall pick in the NFL draft, Brock Purdy. Quarterback, Iowa State, goes to San Francisco. Trey Lance is backup once Garoppolo gets dealt. Best quarterback in Iowa State history. First team All-Big 12 in 2020 and 2021. Second team All-Big 12, 2019. Second team senior class award All-American. Fiesta Bowl offensive MVP in 2020. Second team academic All-American. First team academic All-District. Davey O'Brien Award semifinalist in 2019 and 2020. Manning Award semifinalist in 2020. First team academic all Big 12 2019, 2020, and 2021. Big 12 true freshman of the year in 2018. Dury Moss Outstanding Newcomer Award 2018. Academic all Big 12 rookie team 2018. He holds 25 records at Iowa State, including career passing touchdowns at 81 most career passing yards 12,170 993 career completions 1,467 career passing attempts he was responsible for 100 touchdowns he was 31 and 20 at his time at Iowa State coming from and being in Iowa State going 31 and 20 when before he was on campus in his la- in the last three or four seasons they were like 11 and 20 something Brock Purdy My hero, the hero of Ames, the unofficially crowned mayor of Ames, the man who led Iowa State from irrelevance to relevance. He is now Mr. Irrelevant and a quarterback in San Francisco to back up Trey Lance. For Trey Lance's fantastic career and Brock Purdy gets to make millions, live in the Bay Area and be a backup quarterback and have the best job in the world. And I got to say, damn it, he deserves it. Because he did great things with the Cyclones. And he'll do great things with San Francisco as well. And that's it. Star Wars films ranked. Moving on. (laughs) We're going to start at the bottom. And we're going to move our way up from there. So at the bottom, we have The Phantom Menace. And here's why. Oh, why isn't it a sequel movie? Don't worry. We'll get to those sequels in a second. The Phantom Menace is the only movie that I can watch while being wide awake. And have it put me to sleep i'll be completely honest the phantom menace has great things and it's a complicated ranking because phantom menace has two of the better scenes in all of star wars you've got the pod race and you've also got the darth maul duel and you've got the obviously the iconic score duel of fates that comes with the darth maul duel so i'll just say that the phantom menace is the bottom because it is the only movie where there's a stretch of about an hour and a half where I can just completely zone out. So, with that said, moving on to the second to last film, I have The Last Jedi and we move up right so we've got we've got 11 total films. So, 11 is The Phantom Menace. Number 10 is The Last Jedi. And I say this for one reason. The Last Jedi does not have a lightsaber duel. What about the Praetorian Guard scene in, in Snoke's throne room? No, not a lightsaber fight. Cool du- duel, cool duel. Cool choreography. No. It's not a lightsaber duel. But what about Kylo Ren and Luke Skywalker? Did their lightsabers clash? Luke Skywalker did a super cool thing. And it was great. Visuals were stunning. The visuals of the sequels are very underrated. But The Last John, didn't have a lightsaber duel. It was annoying. Holdo was an annoying character. The downfall of Finn's character, its it's just being more and more played out. Another movie where I can just do without everything that happens... On Canto Bite. I won't fall asleep on Canto Bite just because I'm annoyed. Right? Phantom Menace is just boring. But when on Canto Bite, I'm just like, can we leave? What is the point of being here? Attack of the Clones after The Last Jedi at number nine. This is an interesting one because I, I actually I like Attack of the Clones. And I have fun when I watch it. It's just not good writing. There is there's so much cheese in that film. Anakin is I love Hayden Christensen as an actor, and it's terrible what happened to him while he was while he was doing doing the prequels. But it's just it's just it's not great writing. The dialogue isn't good, and George Lucas says he doesn't like writing dialogue, so I can't I can't I can't shame it for that. And I also want to say I like all these films, right? When I say I ranked The Phantom Menace last, I'm not saying that I don't like the film, right? All these films I like, and most of them I love. So it's just you know what is the worst of the best in my opinion. So I should just I should leave that out there. Because I'm a Star Wars fan, I like all Star Wars, for all different reasons, and I dislike different Star Wars parts of it for different reasons. So that's why I just want to let that know, right? I don't hate the Phantom Menace. I think overall, Phantom Menace has two of my top ten favorite moments in all of Star Wars. In it, all of Star Wars, including you know series, right, including Clone Wars and Rebels and and Bad Batch and Mandalorian and all that. So so Phantom Menace number eleven, Last Jedi number ten, Attack of the Clones number nine. At number eight, I have uh, The Rise of Skywalker. And uh, The Rise of Skywalker is victim of a lack of vision. So J.J. Abrams tried to just overwrite everything that Ryan Johnson did in The Last Jedi. And it was obvious, right? There was no clear vision. And there was just too much. The Rise of Skywalker had potential. And I think overall, J.J. Abrams did a decent job with the fire, with, with the grease fire that he was handed. After The Last Jedi had come out. And with the story. Right? So, all things considered, I don't think The Rise of Skywalker was a complete failure. But it moved too fast. It we bounced around too much. It was cool traveling the galaxy. I, I liked it. I liked traveling to different planets, doing different things, having different duels. And I like how Kylo Ren and Rey's uh, dynamic... Uh, The the way they connected as a dyad in the Force, I liked how we expanded on that from The Last Jedi. But yeah, them making out uncomfortable, not necessary, didn't need to happen. And then it could have been a good movie if it was longer and we had more time to flesh out the details of Palpatine returning instead of just, oh, he's back. I I wish we'd have learned more because I like... The whole Imperial and, and, and Empire and now Sith Empire, you know, dark science division. I like that kind of stuff. I like getting deep behind Imperial walls and seeing how they were experimenting with, with the blood of Grogu. And in experimenting with cloning and what they were really trying to do with Palpatine, right? I like that whole dynamic. And if they could have taken a longer time to really flesh it out and explain it and not ruin Finn's character and not basically just launch Finn down a drain in, in, in seeing Oscar Isaac in moon Knight, and then seeing him in <laughs> and seeing him in the rise of Skywalker. It's like, really, this is, you, this, that's what, that's what good writing does to a character, right? You, you have Oscar Isaac as Poe Dameron who is a bright spot of the sequels, but still just like you have him saying lines like somehow Palpatine turn And then you see him playing, Literally, spoiler alert, three different characters in Moon Knight. It's like, I mean, so much dynamic. The, the dynamic of this actor was wasted in the Star Wars sequels. And you see what he can do in Moon Knight. And it's like, holy crap. So that's just kind of my beef with The Rise of Skywalker. I, I, again, I liked it. It was fun. I think The Rise of Skywalker... Sitting in the theater, I'll say this. Sitting in the theater of The Rise of Skywalker... Even more than the Force Awakens, after having no Star Wars for uh, ten years, no Star Wars movies for ten years after Revenge of the Sith, of the three sequels, The Rise of Skywalker was the most fun I had. First time watching the movie in the theater, it was the last. Uh, it was the last of the trilogy. You had all these reveals. They traveled to different planets. You saw Mustafar. Dio was a great addition. I Babu Frick, right? Like there, it was. It was cool. It was fun to watch the first time I watched it, but then I watched it again, and I watched it again. And it was like, okay, this is getting annoying. This movie isn't that great of a movie, but I still had fun watching it. I had more fun watching it than I did *The Force Awakens* first time watching it. So that's why that's why I don't have it at the very bottom. Not even in my bottom three. Uh, *Solo* is after *The Rise of Skywalker*. I think I think my gripe with *Solo* comes from. Honestly, it's kind of a nitpick, but I don't I didn't like Alden Alden's performance, to be completely honest. I think it's the solo film and in whoever acted as solo needed needed to be spot on and it just wasn't and it felt off. Overall, it's a it's a good adventure movie and it's fun, and I appreciate it for what it is, and solo created a lot of things for the future Star Wars. Crimson Dawn, Darth Maul's criminal underworld. Solo started that. Solo created this whole, what are we going to see more of with Darth Maul? How are we going to, how are we going to elaborate on this more? How are we going to get deeper into this kind of criminal underworld rising underneath the grasp of the empire as they focus more and more on the rebellion? So Solo created a lot of good storylines. It's just, I, I, I didn't like Alden's performance. I like the story with Chewbacca, I, you know, obviously Tobias Beckett, great character. Woody Harrelson did a great job. Um, I'm completely blank. I always blank on his name. Dryden Voss, but the actor who plays him, the guy who literally played Paul Bettany, right? Dryden Voss, Paul Bettany, does a great job playing playing the character. Amelia Clark as Kira, and Kira coming back now in comics, being around while Han Solo was frozen in carbonite, right? Like, it, it Solo, Solo has a bigger impact on current Star Wars storytelling than most people realize. But the actual film itself, it's just not, it's just really not really my cup of tea. But I did have fun. I think it's a great adventure movie. I think it's a cool, like, relaxing sort of comfort. Like, you just want to sit down. Like, you don't want to get into these deep storylines. You don't want to go into the Clone War. You don't want to go into the sequels. Right? You just sit down and you watch Solo. And I think you have a decent time with it. So that's why it's, it's literally just right in the middle of the pack for me. And the next middle of the pack film, in my opinion, is The Force Awakens. Because it was the safest film. They hadn't made a Star Wars movie in 10 years. The, the resemblance to A New Hope was there. And I think The Force Awakens was a safe, solid film with nothing that really sets it apart from anything in the Star Wars universe, both good and bad, right? There's nothing incredibly great about The Force Awakens that sets it apart from other films, but there's nothing incredibly bad about The Force Awakens that sets it apart from the other films. So next, after The Force Awakens, I have Rogue One, and this is my number five film, Rogue One. I love Rogue One. So now we're getting into the movies that I just, I love. So so Rogue One tells the story, obviously, of how the Rebels got the, the plans to the Death Star and how they got them to Princess Leia. Another added dimension onto Darth Vader, the story of these heroes of the rebellion that all sacrificed themselves. Some of the best space battles in all of Star Wars seen in this film. The the dark character of Saw Gerrera being realized and elaborated on on screen and in Jin so. and and now this the series we're gonna get about uh, Diego Luna's character. Oh my God, uh, Cassian Andor. Right? So there, there are all these different little mini storylines that, that combine into one big storyline that I really like with Rogue One. And, and it all culminates into this great battle. And my third favorite, I'm not going to go into my top 10 favorite moments of all time in Star Wars. My third favorite moment of all time, Darth Vader hallway scene. It doesn't get any better than that. It does not get any better than that at all. Moving on from Rogue One, number four as a new hope. It started it all. The nostalgia, the bias. It just because of the first one, it it automatically gets moved up because it started everything. But I also think it did a great job, you know, giving an opportunity for Empire Strikes Back to tell its story, right? All the mystery around Luke Skywalker and his father. Who's this Ben Kenobi guy? Why does he get to turn into a ghost? What what's the history between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader? Right? What's he been doing on this desert planet so long? Why is he here? Right, like all these, uh, destroying the Death Star, the trench run is an iconic scene, you know, I find your lack of faith disturbing, and, and Grandma of Tarkin, and Vader, release him, and Darth Vader actually being kind of controlled by Tarkin, and these little tidbits, mentions of the old Senate that show George Lucas already knew the story he wanted to tell, when Darth Vader goes into that room with Krennic and goes, you know, the, the old or Krennic, or not Krennic, oh my gosh, goes into the room with Tarkin, and, go, and Tarkin's like, the last of the old Senate have been wiped away. and The regional governors now have control. And it's like, okay, George Lucas knew the story he wanted to tell beyond a new hope. And I really liked it. Uh, number three is Return of the Jedi. It, I loved The Last Lates. Yeah, the Ewoks are meant to sell toys. I get it. They were the first marketing point in Star Wars. I get it. Whatever. But Luke Skywalker walking it. Think about it like this. Think about after after um, Empire Strikes Back. Luke Skywalker learn, learns he's his father. Luke Skywalker doesn't know if this is the truth or if it's a lie. He's grappling with this. And in this trailer for Return of the Jedi, you see Luke Skywalker in all dark robes. And he walks up and his force chokes this green guy. <laughs> and you just go from there like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And he finishes his training with Yoda. And... The reveal of, of Leia being his sister and having to grapple with all that and fighting Darth Vader again. The Rebels have to destroy the Death Star again. And, and how it all culminates with Darth Vader in the end and Darth Vader being saved and brought back to the light side, his father. And then you also have the the, the music in the final duel is, is amazing. It's meant to replicate The voices of the dead Jedi of the past calling out to Luke Skywalker. I mean, there's just so much depth to this film. And I love Return of the Jedi. Number two, Revenge of the Sith tells a tragic, amazing story. Every core, and I'm going to say this right now. Every core story. Take out the whole, well then love has blinded you. Take that crap dialogue out of it. Just separate it for one second. The core story that Revenge of the Sith tells of how the Order falls is perfect. Order sixty-six, the clones being genetically engineered to kill everything and everybody. All the Jedi running away, the emotion, the the duels. You have Anakin and Obi Wan versus Dooku again. Obi Wan Grievous, Palpatine Yoda, Obi Wan Anakin at the end. I mean, it's such a great film. Stakes never higher. You know how it ends. But trying, you, you know what happens at the end, but the rush of trying to figure out how it all happens and seeing how it all just goes terribly wrong and, and seeing everything, is, it makes me sound like a terrible person. But, but like I said, you know what's going to happen, but the rush of watching and seeing how it all just turns so far south and the tragedy of everything that happens in, in the Republic and, and how Palpatine was just this mastermind behind it all and his master plan decades in the making come to full culmination of him being the emperor of the galaxy it's just it's it's a great film and then number 1 empire strikes back it changed everything it's the best movie in the saga you've got the you've got the duel on cloud city you've got the visuals of cloud city and of bespin you've got luke going to meet this weird green guy and now it turns out oh my gosh he's the most powerful being in the galaxy You've got Ben Kenobi continuing to return as the Force Ghost, guiding Luke, teaching Luke. You've got him having to leave everything and try and help his friends and be selfless the way a Jedi is meant to be selfless. Putting the needs of others before the needs of himself. And it's just, it's a great film. And I really, I, you, it doesn't get better than Empire Strikes Back. And you've got all the bounty hunters. You've got Bob Thief coming in. You've got the whole Hans beef with the Jabba continues to to culminate. You've got all these different storylines intersecting in Empire Strikes Back. And it's just, it's a really great movie. And I really like everything that Empire Strikes Back did. And, oh, Luke whines. Oh yeah, Anakin whines. What are you going to do? Hayden Christensen's coming back. And, and and Lucas wrote Empire Strikes Back just the same way he wrote he wrote Thing. He wrote Attack of the Clones. He wrote Anakin's whining lines. So it's just like, if Luke, if you're going to complain about Anakin whining that much and, and you say the prequels are bad, why do you complain about Luke whining and say that the sequel and say that Empire Strikes Back is the best movie, right? Like you have Luke and you have Anakin and, you know, they're obviously related. So it's just like, I don't see why people had grapes with Empire Strikes Back at the start. It's just, you, you had to wait and you had to be patient. Everything that Empire Strikes did changed the course of Star Wars, so... That's it. That's everything I got. Thank you for being part of my Lions and NFL Draft and Star Wars discussion. And if you watch a Star Wars movie today, enjoy it. If not, just don't watch Star Trek. Uh, thank you again. This. Oh, I also, I should mention this. Uh, there will be no show next week. I'm taking a week off because it is finals week. I will be moving out of North Dakota, going back to Michigan. So I'll be incredibly busy. There will be no time, so... Yes, there will be no show next week, but the week after, in two weeks, there will be another show. So you can look forward to that in two weeks, but I will be taking a week off. So for those of you doing finals or in finals week right now, or having finals next week or wherever you are at in college or not in college, but specifically if you're in college, good luck and keep your sanity. Every time, every time, top three score in all of Star Wars, most underrated. That's officially all I have. Personality. Cease.